Well, good morning, Bell Shoals family. My name is Corey Abney, and I serve as the lead pastor here. So grateful to see you and your families here as we celebrate Easter together. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online from uh, all across the country and in places around the world. It's a joy for us to worship the Lord together on this special day. And I want to invite you back next week as we kick off a new teaching series called Voices, where we're going to be talking about true identity, true meaning, true fulfillment. It's going to be a really neat and special time together, and uh, we hope that you'll be back to join us then as we talk about one of the most significant issues that we're facing as a culture right now, and that's the issue of identity. So we're going to focus on some different voices that speak into our lives and, and ultimately anchor ourselves and learn how to anchor ourselves to the one voice that matters most, and that is the voice of our great and our awesome God, who's told us that we have value and meaning and worth and significance because he created us in his image and he sent his son to die for us and our sins. And so I want you to know this morning, wherever you are, wherever you come from, whatever your background, whatever your story, I want you to know that today we celebrate the fact that God loves you, God loves me, God loves all of us, and God has a special purpose for our lives. And we celebrate that not just today, but we celebrate that every week, and, um, and we're excited about what we'll dive into certainly next week and in the following weeks. And um, again, so grateful that you've chosen to be here today. If you're new to Bell Shoals, uh, I'd love for you to text Bell Shoals to 77411 anytime throughout the morning. And um, just let us know if we can pray for you or your family in any way. If you're new and you love more information about Bell Shoals and uh, all the amazing things that God is doing here, um, that's a way for you to connect with us confidentially, very easily, and, uh, and we'll follow up with you this week and just see how we can be a blessing to you because we believe here at Bell Shoals that we are a part of a mission and a movement that's changing the world, and we truly want to be a blessing to you and your family. And so as we continue to worship this morning, if you would, just bow with me. Let's pray. Let's thank God for this special day of celebration and uh, just continue to turn our hearts toward him as we continue to worship. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that this morning we have a reason to sing and a reason to celebrate. God, we thank you that not only did you send your son to this earth to die for our sin in our place, but God, we thank you today that he came out of that grave. Lord, we have victory now over death. We have victory over hell. God, we have eternal life as the foundation for all that we do. And therefore, Father, we come to celebrate today the reality of hope. Lord, we are not a people who are bogged down in hopelessness. Lord, even though we go through difficulties in life, God, we have a reason for sustained hope because of what Christ has done for us through his death, burial, and his bodily resurrection. And so, Lord, this is everything. And so I pray that as we continue to worship you this morning, as we um, just turn our hearts to your grace and kindness to us in Jesus, Lord, that you would just stir our affection for you, draw us closer to you. God, help us to discover your will, your plans for us, because we know that they're good. And um, Father, again, we, we just 
can't thank you enough for what you've done for us and the privilege that we have to, to share in that together today. This is indeed a special day. And we seek to give you glory now and forever. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God gathered those waters and revealed dry land. And from dry land, God brought seed-bearing plants that bear fruit and living creatures above the waters and great creatures below the surface of the deep. Then God said, let us make mankind. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Then God saw all that he had made, and it was good. Among the creation, there was one that God created that was more crafty than the others. It sought to have the power and knowledge of God. This creature convinced mankind that it too could be like God. So from the heart of man came a curse. This curse called sin infected all of creation. From the deep, God brought earth, and from earth, God brought man. From man's heart came sin, and from that sin came death. Thus man and God were no longer in harmony, no longer good. Creation was in rebellion against the Creator. By definition, a holy God cannot coexist with the blemish of sin. Thus God's reclamation of creation began. God commanded the water of the deep to rise and swallow up sin and return the earth and its fruit and its creatures and mankind below the surface. God returned man to the deep. However, man's rebellion could not stop God's plan that was set in motion from the beginning of time. God showed great love and mercy upon his people by leaving his holy place and entering into his creation, a creation now infected by the hearts of man. God came to resolve the issue of death and rebellion once and for all. He would make a way for man to return to God. Through God as man, the one called Jesus, the curse of sin was vanquished. God cast himself into the deep in man's place and took the judgment of man upon himself. God joined man below the surface, not to share in man's curse, but to rescue man from it. The death of the deep could not contain the creator of it. The curse of sin was defeated and God made a way to be in harmony with man rescue only God could orchestrate. Once again, 
Have you ever had a situation that you've encountered that you were desperately trying to get out of? Maybe it was a situation at work. Maybe it was like an upcoming family reunion that you really just didn't want to go to. Maybe it was um, uh, encountering a situation at school. Have you, have, you ever, um, have you ever tried to avoid someone in your life? Someone maybe you don't care for, someone that gets on your nerves, someone that gets under your skin, someone that's hurt you in the past. I'm, I'm sure we've all had those kinds of situations. I, I think back to 2005, kind of an extreme example of this, a woman by the name of Jennifer Wilbanks, you may remember, was set to be married in Duluth, Georgia on April 30th. But on April 26th, she went for a jog, told her fiance she was going out for a jog and then never came home. And that prompted a nationwide search that literally captivated the attention of our nation for three days. There were signs posted with her picture all over the, the area where she was from. Her family put out a $100,000 reward for anyone who had information on her location. I mean, the media kind of swarmed to this story. Here was a bride set to be married in just a couple of days who all of a sudden was missing. And then on April 29th, her fiance received a phone call from her from Albuquerque, New Mexico of all places saying that she had been kidnapped and driven in a van from Duluth, Georgia, all the way to Albuquerque, but she had managed to escape. And so she called her fiance to say that she was safe. She called 911 and had this frantic 911 call. And eventually, of course, authorities went to a 7-Eleven in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where she had placed those phone calls and they secured her. And, and uh, the nation kind of took a deep breath. She had been found. But in the process of all of the interviews that she was providing to police, her story wasn't adding up. And so eventually she confessed to making up the fact that she was kidnapped. She made the whole thing up. And she confessed that she made the whole thing up to get out of her wedding. Now, ladies, that's impressive. Maybe some of you have like, like uh, had nerves associated with your wedding. Maybe some of you are looking to be married in the future. Maybe some of you have been through an engagement that didn't last. Maybe you had some of those same feelings. I mean, you gotta admit, Miss Jennifer Wilbanks, I mean, she went all in to get out. <laughs> and so eventually she had to kind of pay back uh, the police department for all of the uh, effort that had gone into finding her. She had to do some community service and that story made national headlines. And that's an extreme example of trying to get out of a situation you don't wanna be in. I think a simple Dear John letter would have sufficed, but she took it next level. No doubt there are situations you've been in in the past that you didn't want to be in. You wanted to avoid something at school, maybe somebody giving you a hard time, something at work, something with your family, people in your life that, um, let's just be honest, we all have people in our lives that we don't really want to see in heaven. 
Can we just be honest? I mean, there are those people who are like, oh man, eternity with that person? I don't know if I can make it, right? In fact, if you have a person like that that's in the room today, would you just point them out? Let's just, um, I mean, let's just be real, okay? <laughs> uh, we've been in those situations. We've, uh, we've certainly encountered those people. And, and you know, one of the cool things about God's word is that it doesn't hide the faults of its heroes. And you know, one of the most prominent figures in God's word is a person who went to extremes to get away from what God wanted him to do and be with the people God wanted him to be with. His name is Jonah. Jonah wasn't a runaway bride, but Jonah was a runaway prophet. He went to extremes to get away from what God wanted him to do and to be with the people that God wanted him to be with. Went through absolute extremes. If, if maybe you're new to the story, let me, let me just remind you about what happened. We see it at the very beginning of, of the book of Jonah, right? It says this, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and, and God said this, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. And so Jonah got up and you're expecting to hear that he goes to Nineveh because Jonah was a professional prophet. He had a seminary degree. He was literally employed to do what God commissioned him to do. But Jonah gets up and he doesn't go to Nineveh. Notice what the scripture says. Jonah gets up and he flees the Lord's presence. The scripture says he gets up to go down to Joppa and eventually get in a ship that goes to the city called Tarshish. He paid the fare, the scripture says. He paid the fare. And then he went to Tarshish away from the Lord's presence. Now, this is incredible. Again, Jonah um, was, was a professional prophet. This is what he did for a living. He delivered the word of the Lord. That construction that you see there grammatically, the word of the Lord came to Jonah is a construction reserved for prophets. That's what they did. They delivered the word of God. And the word of God came to Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach against the city. And Jonah's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Now, the reason that Jonah did not want to preach against the Ninevites is because they were a brutal, ruthless people. They were a part of the Assyrian nation. And at this time, the Assyrians were the most powerful people on the face of the earth. And Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian nation. And the Assyrians were so ruthless and brutal that like when they would go into battles, like they would impale their enemies on poles and leave them displayed for people to see. They would, they would uh, kill their enemies and then peel the skin off their bodies and tack it up on the walls around the cities that they conquered. I mean, they were like a ruthless, brutal people who were constantly at odds with Israel, with God's nation. And so God says, that's why God says, by the way, I want you to go preach against Nineveh because their evil was rampant. But Jonah won't go. And, and here's, what, here's what we see. Jonah won't go, not primarily because he despises the Ninevites or the Assyrians, but because he knows that if they turn to God, he will be compassionate toward them and he will save them. That's why the scripture says when Jonah left Joppa, the place where he was located, 
He fled not the Assyrians. He fled not the Ninevites. He fled the presence of God. Here's the reality. The grace of God was more offensive to Jonah than the wickedness of Nineveh. He was more offended at this point in his life of the grace of God than he was the wickedness of Nineveh. He knows that if he goes to preach against that city and they turn to God, he knows that God will forgive them because our God is a loving, gracious, merciful God. And Jonah doesn't wanna see these ruthless people forgiven. He doesn't wanna see them repentant. He doesn't wanna see them made right with God. He doesn't wanna see them that way. And so he says, I'm going in the opposite direction. And that's exactly what he does. And before we get a little bit too critical of Jonah, we just, we just have to keep in mind that, that no doubt there have been times in our lives when we've been mad at God for similar reasons. We lost someone very close to us way too early, perhaps. We've been through hardship, or even now maybe going through a hardship that's incredibly difficult and we don't know why. You know, sometimes we endure persecution and difficulty because of our commitment to follow Jesus in this world, and it gets wearisome, and, and um, we get frustrated. You know, there are different reasons that we get frustrated with God, that, that the grace of God or the patience of God is, is frustrating to us. Sometimes we just wonder, like, God, why are you allowing these things to happen to me or around me? And God, why don't you just like come, send Jesus back, and let's just, let's just wrap this thing up, right? Like, like the craziness of the world. Okay, God, it's enough. It's, it's time for you to come and just bring, bring that judgment that you said you're going to bring. And sometimes we just get so frustrated that God's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's patient. And why is he patient? Because he has the same grace and mercy toward those unbelievers and our world today that he had toward the unbelievers in Nineveh years ago. And sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes we don't wanna to have to deal with people. Sometimes we would like to just get out of our situations. And so, and so that's where Jonah found himself. He didn't wanna do what God wanted him to do because he knew if he did, God might show his grace and kindness to a people that Jonah did not wanna see saved and spared. And so he goes in the opposite direction. And, and if you notice there, he pays a fare to get out of Joppa to take a ship to go all the way to Tarshish. And so there's some things about Jonah's life that we learn about our lives because there are definitely some parallels, all right? First of all, let, let me just remind you of this. When you run from God, you have to pay the fare. There's always a cost associated with running from God. You don't run from God for free. There's a cost. As has been said, sin takes you farther than you wanna go, it keeps you longer than you wanna stay, and it costs you more than you wanna pay. And it cost Jonah to go to Tarshish. He didn't go there for free. In fact, it would have cost him significantly. I mean, Jonah would, would have traveled a significant distance, as we'll see here in a moment, to get to Tarshish. And, and, and it's an amazing thing that, 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 that he was willing to pay all that he had to pay to go where he should not have gone. Uh, let me show you a map here of, of just how far Jonah was willing to travel. You see, he's in Joppa. Nineveh was just northeast, 550 miles away. Listen, 550 miles on camelback is nothing. 
I mean, it'll only take you what? A couple months to get there? That's nothing, right? Like, okay, Joppa to Nineveh, 550 miles. But I want you to show, I want to show you what Jonah did. Jonah paid whatever it would have cost. I mean, he had to pull all of his resources together, not only to travel to Tarshish, which as you can see here is in, in modern day Spain. It's literally like the, 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 the westernmost point of the known world at this time. He goes, Lori, as far as he can go, 2,500 miles away is where he's headed to get away from God. He had to pay the fare. He had to, he had to accumulate his resources to live there for a while until I guess he thought God would forget. And, and here's the thing, whenever you run from God, you have to pay the fare. There's always a cost associated to running from God. And, and, and here's, here's the thing. Isn't, isn't it amazing? This is, this is so true in life. Isn't it amazing that if we would just do what God has instructed us to do, it would cost us a lot less. It would save us a whole lot of time and energy and we'd be in a whole lot better place. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it's an amazing thing sometimes that, 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 that we turn from God. You know, we, we struggle in our relationship with God at times and we try to run, we try to flee from what he, from what he wants us to do. And, and the reality is sometimes, listen, we have to work harder to disobey than if we would just simply obey. We get more creative in our disobedience than if we would just be obedient. And this was the case with Jonah and it cost him, all right? And so, so we learn, that's something we, we parallel with Jonah in our lives. When you run from God, it's gonna cost you something. Secondly, check this out, a reminder, you can't actually outrun God's presence and power. That's what I find so intriguing about Jonah, right? Like, hey dude, you're a professional prophet. You serve the one true and living God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel as they walked across on dry ground, the God who sent the, the plagues to Pharaoh and delivered his people out of Egypt. You serve this God and you think you're gonna outrun him? You think he's not gonna find you on the sea, that he's not gonna find you in this ship, that he's not gonna find you if you make it to Tarshish? Like, dude, what are you thinking? And sure enough, God catches up with Jonah. Here's what happens. Scripture says, the Lord threw a great wind. I love this. He threw a great wind into the sea and the ship threatened to break apart. It's a severe storm. Such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to, to literally collapse. And so the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God and they threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah went down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. And so when the captain approached him, he said, Dude, what are you doing here? Get up and call to your God. We're all calling to our gods. Why don't you call to your God and maybe he'll consider us and we won't perish. We're desperate. We've done everything we know to do. Now we're all just calling out to our gods. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots therefore. We're all calling out to our gods. That's not working. Let's try to figure out, right? Who is to blame for the trouble we're in? And so they cast lots and guess what? It fell to Jonah. You can run from God but you can't outrun God. And here's what happens. They begin to press into Jonah. Okay, it's obviously you. What's happened? And Jonah's like, well, I serve the one true and living God, the God of Israel. And they're like, literally, they're like, I'm paraphrasing here, but they're like, you are a moron. 
you serve the one true living God, the God of Israel, and you're trying to run from him? I mean, literally, these, these sailors who don't even know this God personally are like now lecturing the professional prophet on what are you doing? And so Jonah tells them, hey, I know what needs to happen. You need to throw me into the water. God's caught up with me. All this is happening because of what I've done. And so you need to throw me into the sea. And when you do, it'll calm. And sure enough, Jonah's thrown into the, to the deep. And he's, he's thrown into the deep as a means of becoming a blessing to those around him. That was the requirement to spare them. And it's a reminder to us that not only do we have to pay the fare whenever we run from God, but we're never gonna actually outrun God. He's gonna catch up to us. But you know what? Here's, here's what we see in Jonah. Actually, the storm here was ultimately intended to get Jonah where he needed to be. And, and here's, what, here's, what, here's what we see that... Um, God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. Now, this wasn't exactly um, comfortable digs that you're gonna see on Airbnb. <laughs> but this fish became a means of sparing him. Here, here, here's, what, here's what scripture says. The, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here, here's the reality, that even in the midst of that storm and even in the midst of the belly of that fish, Jonah was safer in the belly of the fish than he was on the deck of the boat. You know why? Because that's where God wanted him to be at that moment. And sometimes God sends storms or sometimes God allows storms in our lives to get us to stop running and to get us to turn to him. In fact, some of you may be here today, honestly, maybe just because you were trying to appease somebody of your family or maybe you just had um, a holiday to celebrate. I, I don't know, maybe you're here, maybe, maybe you're running and maybe, just maybe you're here not out of mere coincidence, maybe you're here out of divine providence. And God's got you here because he's got a plan for your life and you're running, but you'll never outrun. And so here you are hearing that God loves you and God has a plan for your life. And that's the case with Jonah. Jonah's not gonna outrun God's grace and God's kindness toward him. So he prepares a fish, swallows Jonah, and now he's gonna repurpose him for the future. And I know you're sitting there right now on Easter Sunday and you're thinking, what in the world is this guy doing on Easter talking about Jonah? That's a, I'll say it for you. I had a lady come up to me last night. She said, yeah, I had no idea what you were doing. I thought you lost your mind. That's, that's not the first person who's ever said that to me. That's all right, right? Some of you are sitting here right now and you're like, did he confuse Easter Sunday with vacation Bible school? <laughs> Jonah on Easter? Yeah. Because you know what God's ultimately trying to, to teach us through Jonah? Not, not just that when you run, you pay the fare. Not just that when you run, you'll never outrun. But let me, let me show you one more truth here. I, I just want you to see, here's what God's trying to show us, that Jesus is a better Jonah. Now, you may never realize this, but the story of Jonah is ultimately not about Jonah. You know what? The story of Jonah is ultimately about Jesus. Did you notice that, that when, when the Lord prepared this fish for Jonah that swallowed him, 
that Jonah was kept in the belly of the fish three days and three nights? Have you ever wondered why God didn't leave him there just one night? Don't you think one night would have been enough? Like, listen, if I were running the show and I were God, which it's a good thing I'm not, I, listen, I would have not even sent a storm or sent a fish. I would have let that clown sail all the way to Tarshish. And I would have been sitting there on a lawn chair with an Arnold Palmer in my hand. And when he got off that boat, I would have said, hey man. And he would have been like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I live here because I live everywhere. I'm God. And I would have said, now here's what you're going to do. You're going to pay the fare and you're going to go back to Joppa and then you're going to get your little self to Nineveh. And I would have laughed the entire time. <laughs> That's how I would have handled it. Let him sail that puppy for weeks and weeks and weeks. But that's not God. God prepared a storm and God prepared a fish. Do you know why? Because he's trying to teach us something about what he's gonna do through the person of Jesus. It's not coincidental that Jonah was in that fish for three days and three nights. Well, listen, trust me, one night would have gotten the job done. Two nights would have gotten the job done. He was there three nights. Do you know why? Because he's teaching us something, foreshadowing something that will happen in the life and ministry of Jesus. In fact, Jesus even talked about it. Here's, here's what happened. There's a group of uh, scribes and Pharisees that come up to Jesus during his earthly ministry. And they say, teacher, we wanna see a sign from you. You're saying you're God. You're saying you're the son of God, prove it. And Jesus says, man, I'm not doing any dog and pony tricks here for you. I mean, I'm here for a reason. Like this is, this is real life. Okay, I'm not doing some, some, some kind of dog and pony show for you. Here's what he says. It's an evil and adulterous generation that demands a sign, but no sign will be given that I am the son of God except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And what was that sign? For as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Jesus says, you wanna know what Jonah was pointing you to? He was pointing you to me. Jesus said, you want a sign that I am the son of God and the savior of the world? You're not getting a sign right now, but you're gonna get a sign here in the near future because here's what Jesus was teaching. I'm going to the cross. I'm gonna die for your sin. I'm gonna do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You've run from God. You have forsaken his will for your life. You've tried to live on your own for your own glory. And because of this, you deserve death, eternal separation from my father. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it to the fullest. And you can't have that life if I don't experience death in your place for your sin. Jesus said, you want a sign? A sign is coming. Here's the sign. It's the sign of Jonah. Because as Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights, I'm gonna be in the belly of the earth. Even though Jesus, unlike Jonah, did not do anything wrong. Jesus did not sin. That's the point. Jesus, therefore, was able to be a righteous, perfect substitute for those of us who are sinners. And so Jesus went to that cruel cross, did he not? He had nails driven through his hands and his feet. He had a crown of thorns mockingly placed upon his head and he absorbed the wrath of God in our place. And Jesus was lowered into the heart of the earth. 
and he was there three days and three nights. But here's what we celebrate today. In the same way that Jonah was cast out of those waters of judgment onto dry ground, in the same way that he came out of the belly of the fish, our Savior came out of the heart of the earth. He rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death for everyone who believes. That's what we celebrate today and that's what Jonah pointed us to. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate a greater Jonah, one who cast himself into the judgment of God to save those who are around him. And I want you to know today, if you're running, if you're weary, if you're fed up, if you're tired, if you're discouraged, I want you to know that Jesus will meet you where you are. He will forgive your sin. He will welcome you into his family and he will give you eternal life. He went under the judgment of God for you and he came out of it on the third day, victorious for all who believe. And all you need to do today is look to Jesus and he'll save you, he'll welcome you, he'll give you meaning and purpose. Maybe you're a Christ follower already, but you're running. Maybe you're weary, discouraged, frustrated, anxious, and hear me, Jesus loves you. Here's the ultimate sign of his love for you. You'll never need another sign other than this. This is the ultimate sign. He went to the cross for you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He rose from the dead victorious to secure eternal life for you. You are his son, you are his daughter. There's nothing that will ever change that. And so look to Jesus today for hope, for life, for salvation. He loves you.